Hello, Centerway Church. I'm Eric. And I'm Tara. And we're here to welcome you and give you some information to start off our gathering today. Hello to everyone joining us, whether you're watching live or joining us later in the week. And hello to any watch parties joining us live today. Yeah, also a very special welcome to any guests with us for the very first time. We're so glad that you're here today. And over the next couple of minutes, we're gonna share some information that we hope helps you navigate and enjoy your first visit with us. Now, because we're a mobile church, we're in a unique season of being mostly online with some in-person gatherings here and there. Hopefully, we'll have a chance to meet you in person soon, but as you visit online today, we trust that you still feel at home here. You can learn more about us on our website if you have any more questions. Now, if you're gathering live on Sunday, there are ways for you to engage on the online platform. You can share your information with us, which will just help us to follow up and get feedback from you. You can also explore next steps and find previous messages. And if you call Centerway home and would like an easy way to give, there's a tab to do that. And at any time during the gathering, you can request prayer and one of our hosts will answer you privately in a separate chat. And if you're watching or listening later in the week, many of the things I just mentioned can happen through our website. If you'd like to connect with us after this gathering, if you have questions or feedback, or if you need prayer, please email us at connect at centerwaychurch.com. Yeah, in addition to emailing us, you can check out our social media and access the resources on our website. If you visit the messages page, you'll find all of our messages, including one just for kids. They sing some of the same songs and hear from the Bible in a kid-friendly way. Mm -hmm. Our kids learn from the same scripture text that we adults do. So if you have kids in your home, you'll be able to discuss the application and grow together. Also on that page are resources related to the messages like images to put on your devices, links to the Spotify playlist for the series, and access to the Monday, Wednesday, Friday devotionals that our team creates. If you'd like to receive those devotionals directly to your inbox instead of going to the website, you can subscribe on the Next Steps page. That's right. Now we have sent an email with upcoming summer, summer gatherings. If you didn't receive that email and would like to, please reach out. You can also find all the info on the calendar page of our website. There are a number of things I could point out, but check it out for yourself. We can't wait to be together in various ways this summer. The only one I'll mention specifically is that if you're interested in the Clarity Workshop and becoming a Centerway Steward, make sure you sign up ASAP. One final logistical note, this is our last week in the Connecting the Dots series. We've been studying the book of Mark since last fall and we're actually going to pause and spend some time in the summer in the book of Isaiah before returning to Mark in September. We've started Isaiah the summer of 2019, so many of you have the Isaiah journals, but if you're newer to Centerway or if you can't locate yours, please email us and we will send you an Isaiah journal. We're looking forward to starting that this very next Sunday. Yeah, we are. Well, today is a very special day. It's, of course, Father's Day. And we'd like to say Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. We know that days like today can also be tough. Now, maybe you wish you were a dad. Maybe you've lost a child or children. Or maybe you're missing your dad and have a difficult relationship with your father. So we're celebrating with those who are celebrating, and we're aware of those who are having a tough day. Remember, God is a good and perfect father. You're on our hearts and in our prayers. And as a church, we're celebrating Father's Day by giving to an organization that embodies our Father's heart. Project Rescue exists to rescue and restore victims of sexual slavery through the love and power of Jesus Christ. Project Rescue helps free people from their captivity and provides health care, food, clothing, and vocational training once they're free. 
Now, Centerway will be giving to this effort in honor of our dads. And if you'd like to contribute also, you can just go to our website, centerwaychurch.com, and choose the Give tab. There's going to be a Project Rescue drop down there. And you'll also be able to do that on the Live Platform Give tab. Thanks in advance for your generosity and happy Father's Day. Mm -hmm. Now here's what to expect for the rest of the gathering today. Dan will be reading the scripture text for us. Claude will be communicating from the Bible. And then Eric and I will close out the gathering with some ways to respond in worship. Right after that, you can join us live on Instagram or Facebook as a way to respond through song. Now here's Dan with the text for today. Good morning, Centerway. My name is Dan, and I'll be reading the text for you this morning. It's from Mark chapter 13, verses 28 through 37. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near, at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey, when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Happy Father's Day. Hello and welcome. My name is Claude. My wife Meredith and I are the lead pastors here at Centerway Church and uh, excited that you have the opportunity to be with us as we continue and actually conclude our series entitled Connecting the Dots. Connecting the Dots. We wrap up the series uh, with this message today, which is entitled Focus. And uh, next week we begin our summer series. So I hope you're able to, to stay with us as we begin that journey. Really excited about it. For today, I want to look back a couple of years on a trip that I was taking to Pittsburgh. Uh, I was headed down the highway and it was my exit to get off and there were multiple uh, lanes in this highway as we were exiting. And I remember as, as we were getting off, it seemed like the, the right lane was kind of backing up and I look over and there's this um, younger woman. I don't know how old she really was. If I had to guess, I'd say 20s or maybe early 30s. And she has her phone up like this and she's recording something or texting something or taking a selfie. I couldn't really <laughs> tell what she was doing. I just knew you shouldn't be doing that while you're driving. And so as she's doing it, all of a sudden I see her car jolt and I think she's hitting the brake. But no, in fact, she has run into the vehicle in front of her. And the vehicle in front of her is actually stopped abruptly because they're turned sideways trying to avoid the person that is in an accident in front of them. And so I'm literally going along. And as I'm going along, I see there's this chain reaction of, I don't even know how many accidents there were. And then I see why as I come around the bend, there's this plume of smoke that I realized for the first time, there is a car that's on fire. There's been an accident and there's this vehicle that's on fire and people are so distracted by it that they're literally creating additional accidents. It was absolutely unbelievable until I had to pass by it. And I was so enamored by 
the flames and the carnage of seeing a car essentially torn apart. Thank God the people were safe. They were on the side of the road standing there as the doors of this vehicle is open. And I'm just watching blown away as I suddenly have to hit on my brakes because the car in front of me is in a complete stop. And then I look in my rearview mirror and the car behind me is about to hit me. And I turn to the side and I just couldn't believe that an accident was causing so many people to be distracted. But I was just, I was enamored by it. It was like, you know, kind of flies drawn to a flame, if you will. Everybody was so distracted by this accident that multiple accidents were taking place. And so the question I want to ask you as we head into the message today is this, why are we so easily distracted? Why are we so easily distracted? Now, I know this this question is kind of unique because it assumes something. (laughs) It assumes that we're all easily distracted. And the problem is that a lot of us would say that we aren't easily distracted. Be like, I'm not easily distracted. I'm a pretty focused person. Um, In fact, some of us would say that when we're engaged in something that has our undivided attention, we can't be distracted. We're so locked in on that thing that it's almost impossible to distract us or to get our attention. I mean, you know what I mean that I'm talking about. If uh, if you've ever um, engaged in something that you really care a lot about, I'm not a gamer, uh, but I know that there's a lot of people that really love playing video games. And when they're locked into those video games, there could literally be a bomb going off behind them and you just can't get their attention. They're just locked in. They're obsessed with playing that video game in that moment. I know myself, sometimes I get enthralled in a movie and somebody can be talking to me and I'm like, shh, because I want to see the next part. I want to not miss that line. I remember a time where if you missed the show, if you missed that part of the show, you didn't know the end. Unless you happen to have your VHS, VCR recording this show, it was gone forever. I remember sitting on the end of my couch just being like, quiet, quiet. I need to know what happens right now. Otherwise, we'll never understand how Angela Lansbury solves the crime, right? Murder, she wrote, nobody. Okay. Anyway, in either case, you know what it's like to be in moments where you're just locked in and you don't want to be distracted. You're leaning in. You're watching maybe your favorite sporting event or your favorite team play a game. The list can go on. There's so many different ways that we kind of get locked in. It's like the world around us almost disappears into the background. I remember... um, any any moment, actually, I don't even have to really remember this. I remember one specific moment, but it has happened several times to me where uh, I'll watch Sports Center sometimes on my phone in a given moment, or I'll watch a highlight reel or something. Top 10, they just blow me away. And so I'm always like, Meredith, check this out. You're not going to believe this catch. Look at this throw. Look at whatever. And uh, I just get locked in at Sports Center sometimes, and Meredith will be talking to me, or one of the kids will be saying something, and I'll, I'll be like, what? Wait, wait, what? What'd you say? Like, were you not listening to me at all? <laughs> No. They're like, you said what? And then I started speaking. I'm like, I said what? Like, yes. I was distracted. I'm sorry. Like, I'm, I'm watching this. What did you say? I care, right? We've all experienced it on some level, whether to a great extent, to a reoccurring extent, or on a smaller level. When something captures our attention, when it captures our mind, or when it captures our heart, we just can't be distracted. I want to say that again and think about it for a second. When something captures our attention, either our mind or our heart, 
We just can't be distracted. You see, the reason why I repeat that, why I want you to think about it, is because that's the actual answer to the question I began with. The question I asked was, why are we so easily distracted? And so we're easily distracted when something or someone doesn't capture our attention. When it doesn't capture our heart or our mind. It seems like then we can be easily distracted or rerouted because they don't have our undivided attention. Think about it. In moments that our attention is captured, it's because something intrigues, entertains, kind of expands our mind. There's something about what's happening that it engages our mind. And so we lean in because we're intrigued, we're entertained, or our hearts are stirred. Think about that for a second. There's never been a moment where there's been like a vehicle on fire that people are like, oh, I'm in the middle of a conversation. I'm not even paying attention, right? (laughs) There's just something about that, the intrigue. It engages our mind. Or when when we are in those moments, and I'm sure you've experienced them, unfortunately, these, these heartbreaking moments where someone is spilling out their heart or they're revealing something and you are just leaning in and you're hanging on their every word because maybe there's tears streaming down their face or whatever. In those moments, you you just can't be distracted because your mind, your heart, it's captured. In those moments, we refuse to be distracted. We refuse to be distracted. It only seems to stand to reason that as humans, the adverse would be true as well. If something is boring, if something is not entertaining or doesn't stir our hearts, well, then we're easily distracted. It's almost like we're looking for a distraction sometimes. Sometimes the monotony of our life almost draws us into a distraction. We're longing for a distraction. Now, before you start to kind of blame your teacher if you're in school or your spouse for not being entertaining enough, be like, sorry, boss, I'd listen to you. It's just not engaging my mind or stirring my heart. (laughs) Before you kind of blame them for not keeping your attention, remember this, we can refuse to be distracted, right? It's a decision. There have been moments where Meredith has has been pouring out her heart to me and one of the kids try to get my attention and in those moments, I decide to refuse to be distracted. Your mom's speaking. Quiet down. Wait a second. It's a decision. It's a decision that we make to refuse to be distracted. It's a human condition, but our response is a decision. So it's a human condition to be enamored, to be drawn in, to be captured but it's our response that is a decision. We can refuse to be distracted in those moments. In fact, our decision to focus is what Jesus is actually addressing in these verses today. And so as we jump into the text, I want to start with kind of a debated verse, um, which you may or may not realize that it's a debated verse. But in verse 30, it says this, Jesus is speaking and he says, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Now, it's somewhat a debated uh, verse because people are saying, wait, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he actually tells them that this generation is going to experience his second coming. If you've heard the verses that were just read in the beginning. So did Jesus get it wrong? Like he didn't come back. 
Is Jesus misleading the disciples? Some people say that he's speaking symbolically rather than literally, you know, that it's more of a concept than it is a literal idea that he's returning. But the answer is how verse 32 actually begins. And so I want, in case this is a debated verse for you or in case there's any confusion, I want to address it quickly before we jump further into the text. Verse 32 actually begins, I'm not going to read the verse right now, but it begins with, but concerning that day and hour. So Jesus says, but concerning in verse 32. So he actually says, I've addressed something else, but concerning my return in verse 32. So what is it that he's actually addressing prior? See, verse 30 isn't about his impending return. Verse 30 is about something that we actually addressed last week. Last week, we discussed how Jesus was asked a question by his disciples about when the temple will be destroyed. That happens in verse 4 of this chapter. And from there, Jesus is answering about the destruction of the temple. And so he was actually correct in his response. He's referring to in verse 30, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. He's talking about the destruction of the temple and the destruction of Jerusalem. And so he's answering their question. And in fact, he was correct. The destruction of the temple did occur in their lifetime. In fact, Titus, the uh, Roman general, destroyed Jerusalem within 40 years of Jesus declaring this. And so when he said this, um, in this specific verse, he's not talking about his return. He's talking about the destruction of the temple. Don't misunderstand me. Jesus is returning, and it is something that he addresses in the text that follows. And it's interesting that we can become so focused on attempting to connect the dots about Jesus' return that we can miss the entire point. Now, I think you know what I mean. Some people lean in like the second return of Jesus is unlocking a mystery. And if we can just figure out, and if we can watch Jerusalem and watch these things, then we'll know. We'll have an idea of when Jesus is going to return. It becomes almost an obsession for some people. And if you've grown up in Christendom, you may know that more uniquely. Uh, however, if you are a human being and you ever watch the news, you have heard different times where people have declared, this is the second coming, the end is near, the apocalypse is here. We've all heard it at some point or another. So verse 32, we'll get into, as I said that I would read the beginning of prior, now I'm going to read the entire verse. Jesus says this in verse 32, but concerning that day or that hour, meaning his return, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, meaning himself, but only the father. So only God the father knows when the end of time will come. So we know couple things from this verse. One, we know it's going to happen. Jesus will return. The other thing that we know definitively is that no one will know when. No one will know when. It, it doesn't say some will guess and they will be right. No one will know. So if you think you know, you're wrong. <laughs> If you aren't careful, you can kind of go to two extremes here, all right? And I think we see it a lot. The one extreme is, and I already addressed it a little bit, is to kind of obsess about this. That, you know, you just care about end times all the time and you obsess about understanding when Jesus' return might come and what are the signs and how to be ready and all of those things. But to the other extreme, if you've been exposed to that too much, you can become almost calloused to it. Be like, who cares? 
I don't even care about the end of time. I don't even care about Jesus' return. Like, so what? I can't do anything to change it. Scripture says I won't know when, so I'm just going to live my life. I want to tell you today, it's not about these extremes. As in most cases, when it comes to, to Scripture, it's about understanding the, the healthy balance that Jesus is trying to reveal. What does it mean to understand that Jesus is returning and that there are implications in my life? To not obsess about it, but also not to disengage from it. Jesus is returning, and he states that plainly in verse 26 from last week. The doctrine of the second coming is paramount to the Christian faith. So I'm not, I'm not pulling that down at all. In fact, Jesus' return is mentioned 300 times in the New Testament. So if you do the math real quick, that's one out of every 13 verses of the New Testament discuss Jesus' return. It, it's a big deal. It's something we should care about. Listen, Jesus mentions it over and over. We need to believe this. We need to believe that Jesus is returning. And we need to think about it. We need to decide to have its implications, get this, stir our hearts and capture our attention. Not obsess over the things that don't matter, like figuring it out, but considering its implications. Deciding to allow the implications of Jesus' return to literally stir our hearts and capture our minds. Jesus' return must affect how we live. Now, there's a huge trap here, a huge trap, especially if you've grown up in Christendom. I myself was taught to be afraid of Jesus' return and to think about it so much so that I thought there were certain seasons of my life I'd never experienced. I remember very vividly thinking, I don't have to worry about where I'm going to go to college or what I'm going to do with my life because Jesus is going to return before I graduate. I remember thinking about that. I remember thinking, like, I don't have to get married someday. I don't have to think about that because Jesus will certainly return before I'm ever married. Jesus will return before I ever have kids. And, you know, it, the list goes on. But it was, it was this idea that, that Jesus would return and that his return was so eminent that it almost caused this lackadaisical view of the future and this fear of how I lived my life today. I think it was almost a tactic, a well-intended one, but a tactic of, listen, if you're living wrong today, you're going to go to hell tomorrow. Jesus is coming and he's going to be mad. Oh, he's going to be mad at you. So don't do anything wrong. Behave. And so I was like, oh, okay, Jesus is coming. He's coming soon. It's a huge trap. And so we think, you know what? I'll just behave. I'm just going to behave because I need to avoid hell at all costs. And I want to tell you, as someone that experienced that for a season of my life, that will work for a while until you're distracted. Until you're distracted by the cares and worries of this world. Until something else stirs your heart or captures your mind. Until you're distracted by lesser things. And then all of a sudden, get this, it's going to sound unbelievable. Avoiding hell isn't compelling enough for us to overcome our sinful nature. Now, you might think, what? Of course. I mean, avoiding hell is compelling enough reason to control your behavior. It's not. It's not, or we could solve our own sin nature problem. In fact, it's so obviously not, we can even look to the people that we care about in this world. Look around at the people you love and care about and watch as they have made or are making terrible self-destructive decisions. 
Think about it. The, the, the addictions to drugs, alcohol, the poor relationship decisions that they make. It's like they're moving towards destruction willingly. Why? Because they're distracted. Their heart is stirred in the moment. Their minds are captured by something lesser. And so they're not considering the implications on their physical body or even on their, their uh, relational um, impact on their relationships emotionally. No, they're caught up in the moment. They're distracted. They're distracted. Our minds and our hearts are captured by lesser things. It happens. And obviously, if it happens physically, it only stands to reason that it would happen spiritually as well. That it's just not compelling enough to avoid hell. It just wears off eventually. So what's the answer? What is the answer? How, how do we negotiate this? What does it look like to truly be impacted by Jesus' return without it being some type of behavior modification or, or fear of, avoid, of, of avoiding hell? Not fear of avoiding hell, but fear that requires us to attempt to avoid hell. The answer is in verse 37. Verse 37 says this. Jesus is still speaking. And he says, And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Stay awake. So the answer is to stay awake. What does that mean? It means to connect the dots and to focus our attention on the things that matter. Staying awake means being focused on the things that truly matter in this world. Listen, if knowing Jesus will return tomorrow, that tomorrow is the end of time, if knowing that changes how you live today, then something needs to change in your life. Think about that for a second. Think about it because we should live our lives as if today is our last. Because tomorrow isn't promised, right? It's tragic. It sounds almost morbid, if I'm honest. But the reality is we know people that were in perfect health and something tragically happens. And in a moment, in an instant, they're gone. If this is your only day on the planet, if this is your last and final day on the planet, would you live it differently? What is it that needs to be focused in your life? Listen, I want to tell you, it's how the disciples lived. Think about that. Consider it for a second. Jesus looks at the disciples before his transfiguration and, and he looks at them and says, I will return. I'm going to come back for my church. We talked about this. And, and all of a sudden, Jesus ascends and, and he's gone from their midst. And the disciples look at each other and they live every day from that moment forward, assuming Jesus will be back the next day. And it's evident in the way they live their lives. They held loosely to the things of this world. They gave everything they had towards the mission that Jesus left them with to make disciples. They, they weren't working on their 401ks. <laughs> they didn't consider the cozy little lives. And, and I'm not saying that those things are sinful in and of themselves, but if they become the pursuit of our lives, a good thing becomes an ultimate thing. And that is sinful. What are you living your one and only life for? What are you living? What are you giving your time, your talent, and your treasure to? The disciples lived focused focused on the mission that Jesus left them with. They woke up every morning. Today might be the day that Jesus comes back. Today might be the day that we see him. We need to live on mission. 
Do you hear that? It's not to avoid hell. The disciples weren't trying to avoid hell. No, they were resting in the finished work of the cross. And so should we. If we live our lives to try to avoid hell, we, we strive for something that's already been accomplished. It's done. Jesus did it on the cross. The gospel tells us that Jesus died the death that we deserve so that we could be captured with our heart and mind daily to live our one and only lives for greater things. Jesus did the work that only he could do on our behalf. And that frees us to rest in the gospel, not to engage in sinful things or temporal things, but instead to engage in the mission that God has called us to. Jesus knows you and he desperately loves you. He has a plan and a mission for your life. And you've believed the lies of others. You've believed the lies maybe of yourself. You've settled for a lesser version of your life. At best, in moments of religiosity, maybe you've conjured up an attempt to, to behave or to be spiritual. But are you resting in the true work of the gospel and living on mission so that you wake up every day and say, God, would you stir my heart today for what stirs yours? Would you purify my mind and my thoughts that I could focus on what it is that you want me to be about? God, I want to live for eternal things, not temporal things. Order the footsteps of my life. Allow me to live life to the fullest because get this, a daily decision to not be distracted means a daily decision to focus on the gospel. Will you focus your heart? Will you connect the dots and rest in the truth of the gospel? Decide not to be distracted by lesser things. Imagine if we could connect the dots and focus on the mission. Imagine if we could hold loosely to the things of this world, that we could leverage all that we have, all of our energy towards eternal things, the fulfillment that would come in our lives. We waste so much time and energy striving for things that just fall through our fingers like sand. Here today and gone tomorrow. New today and old tomorrow. I need the newer, I need the better, I need the shinier. Oh, it's not new anymore, it's not shiny anymore. I need the newer, the better. Oh, I, I got that raise, I, I need a better raise. I got to that college, now I need that job. The list always goes on, it's always striving unless you're resting in the truth of the gospel and you're focused on connecting the dots of the mission that Jesus has for you, for your one and only life. So we say that the text requires something of us. And I want to leave you with a question that I want to challenge you to ask yourself. The question is this, what would I do differently if I knew I'd stand before God tonight? What would I do differently if I knew I'd stand before God tonight? Now, again, I want to warn you, this is not a scare tactic. <laughs> I'm not trying to, to scare you into, oh no, this is it. What if I do die tonight? No, there's something valid about the way that it causes us to focus on what we're engaged in today if we consider the implications of that. So I'm not trying to be morbid or, or fear-based. I'm asking you to consider the way you're living your life. Allow it to reorient and focus. For some of us today, as, as you're watching potentially live or listening or watching later, you're thinking, you know what, if I stood before God tonight, 
I don't know. I don't know where I'd spend eternity. I've been living for myself. I, I haven't surrendered my one and only life to Jesus. For you, maybe your application is to surrender your life, to ask Jesus to be the Lord and leader of your life so that you can be in right relationship with God. That you'll acknowledge the price that he paid for you on the cross and walk in the fullness of the life he has for you. If that's you today, it's as simple as praying a prayer. And it doesn't have to be like this, per se, word for word, but some variation of acknowledging, Jesus, you died the death that I deserve, and I'm a sinner. Would you forgive me of the sin of my life? Come and be the Lord and leader of my life. I want to live for you today. In fact, if you prayed some variation of that prayer and you're with us live, I want to encourage you to click on the request prayer button. And it'll put you in a private chat with one of our hosts. We just love to talk to you about the next steps. If you're listening or watching later on in the week or next month or whenever, you can feel free to reach out via our website or email and just let us know the decision that you made so we can come alongside you in the next steps and we can help you learn to follow Jesus. If you've prayed that prayer before, I want to challenge you to consider what does it look like to be in relationship with God and yet confronted with the reality that maybe you're distracted by lesser things. Maybe it means your application of of doing things differently means reprioritizing your life. Things that you've allowed to, to elevate and escalate in your life need to be put in their proper place. Maybe it means it's time to forgive somebody that you feel like is unlovable or unforgivable, and yet God has forgiven you of so much. Maybe it means extending grace or mercy because of the grace and mercy that God has extended towards you. Maybe it means telling those that you love most about how much Jesus loves them. Maybe it means considering your kids, your your family members, your coworkers, and saying, listen, if I was going to stand before God tonight, it means I wouldn't have that divine appointment that I know the Lord has been asking me to have with people that I love. And so maybe it looks like a missional conversation. I don't pretend to know what it is for you specifically, but I know the text requires something of all of us. So I want to challenge you to consider what it means for you and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart. In fact, let's pray together and declare ourselves available. Lord, we come before you today and we just pray a prayer of availability. Holy Spirit, would you come and speak to us? Would you Show us the the recesses of our heart, the areas where we've attempted to maybe compartmentalize or get distracted by lesser things. And Lord, that we would focus on what it is that you would have us to focus on, that we would live our lives intentionally about the things that are eternal and matter most to you, that we would give our lives to something eternal and not settle for a lesser version. We declare ourselves available and we ask that you speak to us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen been a phenomenal series. I'm so glad that you've been able to be with us as we've connected the dots together. You're not going to want to miss next week as we begin our summer series. Until then, God bless. Man, we're so thankful for that word today and for the reminder to live each day with an eternal perspective. So what would you do differently if you knew you'd meet God tonight? Let that be something that you ponder throughout the week and let it move you to action. It's a great way to keep a posture of worship throughout the week, and we certainly want our lives to be worshiped to God. 
One way we get to worship as a church is through singing, and we're about to do that if you're gathered live. If you're connecting at another time, you can still worship by singing along with the video posted on Facebook or with the songs on Spotify. Just search for Centerway Church and look for the Connecting the Dots playlist. For those gathered on the online platform, we'll see you live on Facebook or Instagram in a few minutes. And happy, happy Father's, Father's Day, Day everyone! everyone.